It's been too long. Guess who's back? <laughs> you ain't ready for this one. Skirt! He's quite amazing. Ask not what your cosplays can do for you. Welcome, welcome everyone to the Haas Boys podcast, where everything in Formula One is in an American accent. Mm-hmm. <laughs> my name is Max, and to my left, I got Parker. What's up? I got Mike on my right. Hello, sir. Welcome to the podcast, everyone. Thanks. Thank you. Much appreciated. <laughs> yeah, this has been a fun time. Yes, it Life has. in general, yeah. but a good season. I'm still riding high from Double Point finishes back to back everything is right in the world totally what was it today on instagram something about gunter saying that now they're gonna march to the front from here that's what it is yes now they're in formation time to march thank you thank you gunter and beyonce (laughs) (laughs) wanted to start off the episode today Talking about, I guess, my love for Haas, why I like Haas Formula One team. Okay. And where that's seated in. I think I kind of talked about this earlier. Where did that come from? Well, I was thinking. For you. For me, I, I grew up in the 90s watching a lot of amazing movies. And for some reason, I feel like all those movies were sport movies. There was a lot of sports movies in the 90s. Quite yeah. a few. Like Mighty Ducks, Sandlot, the green one with soccer. Does that sound familiar? I know what you're talking about, but I... Um, and it, it's the same kid from Sandlot, yeah, the goalie. Anyway. Remember the Titans, Friday Night Lights? Yeah. Lots... Everything was sport movies, I feel like. Yeah. Um, now it's the superhero rookie, movies. Field the of rookie, Dreams. Field rookie, of the, <laughs> rookie of the Year. year Angels in the Outfield. Yeah. Angels in the Outfield. But the best ones I remember, I was Mighty Ducks and Sandlot. And... The villain was always the super duper rich kids, and you were always rooting for the underdog. In Mighty Ducks, they were a scrappy, poor group of kids, and the other team literally had black jerseys, and they were super rich. (laughs) Right. And you hated them. Yeah. They didn't have Hans. No. Which is Gunter. You Mm. know, he helps the underdogs. Yeah. And when the rich kids show up at the Sandlot field, it's on and the Sandlot kids beat them and it's so fun. It's so you satisfying. Play ball like a girl. Exactly. They which, win. Which with, is nothing. There's nothing wrong with that. No. They win with none of the advantages. Exactly. It's Sandlot. Talent. It's scrappy. Yeah. Sandlot. It's the, it's these kids that are just putting their, you know, putting their best foot forward. They don't beat anybody. I was, where am I going to go with that? They, <laughs> they beat, beat the, the rich kids. kids. The rich kids show up one day to taunt them. And they go and play at their field. Oh. And it's just the rich kids all have uniforms and cleats. And the Sandlot kids have just Chuck Taylors and jeans. And all the heart. Yeah, and all the heart. And that's why we love Haas. Yeah. And, and, and he has and he's got all the heart. Yeah. All the heart? I was gonna say all the Haas. I had Gene <laughs> in my head because I was gonna say Gene, but then I opted out, but the Haas came through. Uh, maybe even this is is Haas team puppin suds from the Brink movie. Oh, Brink? <laughs> the Disney Channel original movie, Brink. The inline Holy aggressive cow. rollerblader movie. <laughs> yeah. And Team X-Blades is definitely Mercedes. Yeah. You, you can see a theme here. There is. And so when I came into Formula One as a Johnny Tsunami. sportsman. I'm sorry. There's uh, all of these huge, movies huge, yeah. are about the rich kids versus the underdogs. So yeah. I come in, I'm, I, I see a team 
all decked out in black livery, the the richest car manufacturing team in like in the world. And like undoubtedly cool. And just crushing everything. I'm like, I don't want this to root for this team. Right. Who's the cool guy on the, the grid that's scrappy? That is my guy. Yeah. We talked about this, I think, at length at the end of last season. Watching the last race of last season. Right. Tell me that's not straight out of one of these movies. Right. I remember that. Yeah. All is lost. Uh Uh-huh. Even in the last race. The rich team is going to win in the last lap. (laughs) Yeah. And yeah. everyone's just everyone, you know, it's it's the scene where everybody's taking their hats off and throwing them on the ground. And they're all about to go home and just be sad and poor yeah. for the rest of their lives. But Benny yeah. the and Jet then, shows then, up with PF flyers, <laughs> right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and Plan L happens. Uh-huh. Right, Latifi crashes, and it's everybody's you know walking out of the stadium. But then they hear that, and they're like slowly turn around. Da-da-da. Was that a Williams? I heard. <laughs> and then. You even have Toto th- throwing his headset. Yeah, you have it's the, the angry 80s, coach. It's the 80s movie villain it really, getting, <laughs> losing. Getting mad. Yeah. Getting mad yeah. and losing. And getting mad at the kid right. that missed the shot. And then everybody's The late. penalty shot right, right. In, in hockey. In, in hockey, Charlie yeah. Banks, <laughs> cake eater. Yeah. Is yelling at him. <laughs> you never missed the shot, Charlie. <laughs> that's See, that's why yeah. like I came in, I'm like, I can't. Mercedes just isn't my team. Yeah. Right. Um, and I think, and, and, and now watching Lewis race is different. Right. Because it, there is a struggle now and it, it, it does feel a lot like the new season of Cobra Kai where before I didn't like Johnny. I was rooting for Ralph Macchio. Right. And now it's reversed. So I was like, I get it and I like it. Yeah. I don't know if that makes sense. No, it totally does. I mean, I think there's still a waft of like Mercedes is still in it now. They're back in it a bit. Yeah. But but at the same time, it's like I, I would be excited to see George or Lewis bring home a win. I do think that that would be a cool moment for the season. But it would be even better. It would be a sweeter moment if it was only once. <laughs> yeah. It would just show how far they've fallen from grace a little mm, bit. Yeah. And give them a little bit more of that underdog clout that we're talking about. Yeah. So yeah, I think that's the root of it for me. I'd have to say so too. I mean, even think about I mean, that trope is just threaded mm. through the movies. We, I mean, think about Harry Potter. I mean, the books oh. books and movies. Right. Draco uh, is exactly Mercedes, right? <laughs> He's <just laughs> he like, the house of Slytherin is Patronus blue and it, black. It and, you know, like at that little green and black. Conspiracy. Rich guy, slicked hair. Polta! <laughs> 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 and you just have poor Harry Potter. Right. Yeah. Know too much. Yeah. And that's just Gunter. And his <laughs> box of scraps in a garage, maybe crushing Hagrid. it on the grid. Wait, right who now. is Gunter? Gunter's Hagrid, I think. He shows up at Kevin's house. <laughs> You're a wizard, Kevin. <laughs> I'm a what? You're a driver, Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> He's like holding his new baby. Put that baby down. You're a driver, Kevin. We, we didn't know this, but the leading up to the relieving of Nikita and the hiring of Kevin was a lot of. Well, let's just say he relieved himself. Yeah, <laughs> but there was a lot of letters that didn't quite reach Kevin, so Gunter had to kick the door down and be yeah. like, "Did you get my letters?" <laughs> You're a driver, Kevin. Yeah, that's a question for another time. What we've done, Lord of the Rings yeah. uh, drivers. Back when we, we could do Lord of the Rings content. Yeah, uh, for those that aren't updated, we can't do Lord of the Rings content anymore yeah. because we had a staff contract contractually obligated to not do Lord of the Rings content after anymore. the change of our writers. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah. Just trying to keep them happy. Cool. But we will have to go back through and do Harry yeah. Potter. Quick side note. There is a lot of, uh, there's a, like a trend on the form of the Dink subreddit of hating on George Russell. <laughs> have you seen it? <laughs> no. And now I'm thinking about it. We hated on him for a while. Oh, we've been ahead of that curve. Yeah. Well, did we? It was in that? the beginning of this season. Yeah. When he showed up with the the uh, <laughs> the king in the doing the Kingsman stuff and that and was being, still with William. Cool. He was still. That was with still. Oh, still it was. Well, when he started being cool, it was when he signed that Mercedes contract <laughs> right, and thought right, he was cool. Right. So probably the same time. Yeah. 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 Similar similar timing. For I have sure. a girlfriend. Yeah. <laughs> Have you seen her? She just goes to a different school. But there's a lot of hate right now. And everyone's like, why do I hate George Russell so much? Like, ah, you just want to punch him. Uh, you know That's what's funny? You know what's funny about it, though, is he actually, he he handles himself very well. Mm-hmm. And did you see his post today? Mm-mm. He said in his own Twitter, and I'd have to, I, like, maybe I should pull it up just so I, I quote it correctly. Yeah. The trend is George Russell is the kind of person who, and then you insert a line that he would say. One that made me laugh was the kind of person who, when the check comes, says, okay, let's see what the damage is. (laughs) (laughs) So there was a lot of like, a lot of really good, really funny jokes. Funny, but like very (laughs) soft and like not malicious. Not actually, not actually mean, but just like giving him a funny quirk, Mm -hmm. basically. And so George Russell spotted the, he, he finally discovered it. And he said, he retweeted that exact one, actually. Oh, the he? one about the, what's the damage? <laughs> and his response was, how am I the kind of guy who has only just discovered this trend? Because <laughs> it's been going on for like a week. Oh, that's awesome. And now he just tweeted about it today. But anyways, I thought that was a, a pretty funny response. And he's usually a pretty good sport about that. Which again, it does kind of take, it deflates a bit of the fun of making fun of somebody yeah. when they're good at handling it. So that's a way to deal with bullies, but like, we don't like it when you deal <laughs> when with us. <laughs> when you're good at dealing with us. We just like the fact that he puts his sunglasses on for interviews now. <laughs> so sponsored by police eyewear. Yeah, we should, uh, we should do a little line graph mm. of interviews and sunglass wearing and compare it against being in Williams and then being in, in, in Mercedes. <laughs> what, see how this compares. The, see the divergent data. Yeah. yeah. It's like power to weight ratio. Yeah. Oh yeah. I uh, I think I saw in the news that Nikita Mazepin won a race in his first race out of Formula One. What's he racing? I don't really care. So what uh, what else <laughs> is going on? It's like the a four wheeler, honestly. <laughs> yeah. It's like off road ATV four wheeler. Is it side the, by side? Is it a bit it's like a big yeah. wheels like electric uh-huh. escalade? Yeah. yeah. It is. His dad that made for kids. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It was a charity event he won. Here's the thing with Nikita. He is still in the family, but in the way that like uh, a uh, an estranged uncle or like cousin is is still in the family, but he is still in the family. He's the one that got sent away to a camp in right. high school. And we still... It's like, isn't cousin Jeffrey doing good? Yeah. We're glad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're glad. Anyways, <laughs> good. what else? We just hope he doesn't come to the reunion. <laughs> <laughs> Shifting gears to some of the main meat of the episode today. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I like that. 
it's about mid-season right now, so we wanted to kind of do a, a mid-season recap. Mid-season's night's dream is what a, we call a it. A mid-season's night's dream. <laughs> Love it. A mid-season's night's stream. Stream. The last yeah. word is stream. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Gotcha. You can stream it. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So, yeah. Just trash. Just kind of recap. <laughs> overall, <laughs> overall recap of what's happening, especially with Haas. Um, maybe predictions about what we can see for the rest of the season. Cue the cue the theatrical music. One man on his journey to the championship. One opportunity. He had a red race car. Vroom vroom. How do I push the gas? Right foot bitch. <laughs> <laughs> Kevin Magnuson is <laughs> Little Driver Boy. Gunter! <laughs> okay, anyways. It's been a great season so far. One of the things that I thought of when we kind of reached this point was when was the last time Formula One reached the mid-season mm-hmm. after a giant rule change and what did those seasons look like up to that point? Mm-hmm. And we have had three big rule changes in the previous, we'll say, 30 years of Formula One up to this point, okay? So to me, I was like, okay, what can we compare to? And what does that tell us about the rest of the season to maybe give us some- Accurate predictions. Right, a little bit of a looking glass into, okay, this has happened in the past. Traditionally speaking, this could be the trajectory from here. Mm -hmm. So I went back 30 years. We don't deserve you. <laughs> 1994 was the last time that they had a real overhaul of the rules. And what was that? In 93, everything kind of came to a head. The cars were gaining a lot of extra fins. There was tons of extra arrow. Mm. And the cars were developing active ride suspension. They were developing traction control and a lot of driver's aids, which the sport deemed... Uh, too much of an advantage for the teams that were getting it right versus the teams who weren't. Hmm. And so they wanted to simplify and try to bring it back a little bit more basic. So they overhauled the rules completely. Interestingly enough, in 1993, Ayrton Senna drove for McLaren and 93 is the year that Williams won the championship. So he was keen on moving from McLaren to the Williams to win a championship in the best car on the grid. Mm. But the Williams car was terrible without all of those rules. Ah. And was uh, 94, unfortunately, was the season that ultimately saw the death of Ayrton Senna at Imola. And so the car was pretty undrivable and part of why he also didn't have great performances that year. So 1994 was a huge rule overhaul. And because of those reasons, eliminating technology essentially from like the computer standpoint for active ride height and all those things Mm -hmm. and all the extra aero bits and going something simpler for closer wheel-to-wheel racing. is essentially trying to do what they did now. Okay, wow. We've been trying to do this for a long time. Right, well, and with a sport that's so formula-driven as opposed to spec car like IndyCar, this is a way trickier formula to build. And so with a lot of the technology that we have today proven that we can actually get a lot closer to that goal than they were 30 years ago. So, but here's the thing that's interesting. 1994 was the first Michael Schumacher championship. 
That was his maiden championship. He was at a green team, Sprite or something. Yeah, he well, so he raced a Jordan. That was his first car, and that was his debut, where he sat in on uh, at a Jordan for a couple of races. Okay, and then the next season he signed a contract with Benetton, which was also a green car. And this was the year. And that was the year that he won the championship. Interesting. Okay, cool. And cool. so something that's interesting about that year, though, is that there's some controversy around it. And I think we can dive a little deeper into that in the future. But just to kind of give us a, a spectrum of what happened that year, Michael Schumacher won eight times. And Damon Hill, who was a Williams driver, alongside of, I believe, Nigel Mansell, I think is who it was, won six. And it came down to the final race of the season. And Michael made contact with Damon and ended Damon's race. And that's what won Michael the championship. So that's part of that controversy that we can dive a little deeper into later. But Michael won most of the races that he won that year at the beginning of the year because the car just came out of the gate fast. Like a... F- oh, I can't even keep going. I was going to say like a Ferrari, but then they didn't But they did, they, Yeah, exactly. Red so Bull. Red Bull kind of came back. So that's unique to this year. So fast forward... Okay, so that's one story where the driver who won the championship did win most of the races, but it was pretty even spread out throughout the season. There was a pretty even split between Damon Hill and Michael Schumacher. We fast forward to 2009, and this is the Braun GP year with Jensen Button. Mm. So they came out of the gate swinging with the blown diffuser, and the car was stupid fast. What's the blown diffuser? So that was, we talked about this a few episodes, mm. quite a few back actually where the exhaust gases from the car actually were used in the aero to create downforce. And so when you would accelerate, it would make the car suck to the ground. Fetching days. Which is pretty nuts. So the fastest you could go through a corner was basically how fast you dare push it. (laughs) Wow. So And was this was this at the beginning of a rule change? It was. So 2009 was a brand new aero package. And they're like, all right, let's go. A lot of interesting tech coming out out of the gate. Right. Braun just crushed it right out of the gate. Right. And it was a Honda back team up until that point. Mm-hmm. And Braun took over. The car had had a lot of money in development as they kind of took over, but they didn't have half the staff and a lot of the emphasis that they could have. Mm-hmm. And so this is what's interesting is that Jensen won six of the first seven races. The only person who won a race in the interim was Sebastian Vettel at Red Bull. So he won six of the first seven and didn't win again. That's stressful. And the reason that being is because once it was discovered that the diffuser was legal, the entire sport was... Everyone did it. Yeah. Now we just have to develop that and then we can compete with Braun. And so where Braun didn't have the extra cash to develop the car further, the goal just became don't DNF, finish as high in the points as you can, and we might win a championship. Wow. So pretty wild. And that's how that season ended. Jensen ended up winning the championship, but didn't win another race from there. Mm. Um, Another interesting fact there is there was 17 races that year. So there's 10 races he didn't win, which is pretty wild. So how does that compare in your mind? So if we're going by what these previous eras did. I feel like Ferrari has a big task ahead of them to try and overcome Max's point advantage. It seems as though that whoever is dominating at the beginning of the season is able to carry that until the end of the year. Interesting. And who's dominating this season? Red Bull. Max Verstappen. Yeah, I I don't know if I'd call it dominating this time. They're definitely in the lead. 
Right. I don't know if I'd call it a dominant Red because, Bull season. Because Chucky is like, what, one first place finish away from being almost tied with Max right now? Right. So it's not it's not pure dominance. Yeah. No. I mean, at least from the few examples that we've drawn now, it is kind of a, a bit of a black sheep first opening rules change season being that we've got a lot of turnover in who's winning these races and a lot of stuff is up in the air. Like nobody was guessing that Checo was going to be in, in the, the running. Yeah. And you know, up until about three races ago and it's anybody's, it's anybody's game now. It is interesting to draw that parallel between those seasons you've mentioned and see that it's like, that's not the case this season. Part of the reason I pointed out the number of races in the year is because this is 22 races. This mm. is quite a few. Mm. And we're 11 races deep, but that means that there's still a 11 races left. We literally could see a completely different season unfold from here and it would turn the championship on its head. And there's not enough wins for anybody to guarantee it. And so really interesting, super cool. I'm glad they've added more races for this very reason. So is what you're driving at that we could see a Haas win <laughs> this season. I, I know we talked about it last episode. Is that episode. where you're going with it? I mean, <laughs> the reality is, is that the underdog story lives strong. I mean, Benetton shouldn't have won a championship and Braun shouldn't have won a championship. Hmm. Unfortunately, in this scenario, Ferrari's kind of <laughs> the one that shouldn't win a championship, mm -hmm. especially with how poor their reliability has been. But if they can overcome it at this point, they would be the ones that I would put into the Benetton and Braun wheelhouse. Come back. Yeah. So I think it could be a very interesting season. But one of the reasons I wanted to point that out as well is that the other rule change was in 2014 and pretty much the way that 2014 went went on for a decade. Yeah. <laughs> Which was uh, Mercedes, Mercedes dominance. With, with a little bit of movement. In like the lower teams, but not much at all. Never coming really <laughs> anywhere near where Mercedes was. Which is kind of insane to think about that for that many years, one set of rules kept all these people in the same stratification. Yeah. Like, it, it didn't move. Yeah. Like those teams were hitting right. those numbers every season. And it's like, okay, the rules, but also it makes me think a lot about what we didn't know about what was going on behind closed doors. Right. The the massy years. Right. It's like we got steward changes, but there was probably other stuff going on that we have not even heard about. And looking at those results throughout all those that rules period and seeing that they were so consistent makes me think that there was other stuff going on. And I'm not wearing my tinfoil hat quite, but let's get into something American that goes along with what you're talking about. In American football, the commissioner of the NFL. Soccer? Uh, football, okay, okay, yeah. Yep, yeah. yep. <laughs> Gridiron, if you will. Okay. Uh, is Bill Belichick from the New England Patriots and the commissioner of the NFL are very close and have been for a very long time. I don't know if either of you know this. No. But that's part of what was interesting about when the Patriots were under investigation over the deflated football thing. Mm is that you've got a head coach who's in close politically with the guy who runs the sport entirely. And when they were investigated, suddenly it just kind of got swept under the rug. They, they never took a trophy away. There was never anything overly dramatic, right? So similarly to what you're talking about between 
Charlie Whiting, who was the race director prior to Michael Massey, who also was notoriously had a good relationship with Lewis, then Michael Massey, and then also the guys at the top of the FIA, which was Jean Tot, who was uh, also ran Ferrari. Good old Jean Tot. Could there have been some foul play politically? I'm not ruling it out. <laughs> I mean, I think they could have been just the same thing said about Michael Schumacher and Ferrari years. Is this season lining up with how you pictured it to be? For me, I honestly came from like the era of, that we just talked about Mercedes just being completely dominant. And I was expecting them to jump in and be completely dominant. And I was hoping for more competitiveness. But in the back of my brain, I was thinking it's just going to come out the gate. More Lewis and George Russell podiums 100%. every week. Right. And I was hopeful that Haas would get points. And this right. time, Haas is now inching up the pack. And it's amazing that I'm to the point where my predictions at the end of this season for Haas is I think we can get a podium. Right. I do think it's Big possible. Time. So cool. What are we going to do when that happens? Mm. What is Hosco? What, what do we do? What are we going to promise the students? A pizza party? Uh, I, 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 I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I was <laughs> ice cream by the bucket. I don't know. What's American fried chicken? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> we'll mail fried chicken to the every fast and, listener. The fast and family friendly 15. <laughs> the fa- we'll, we'll mail one fast and friendly 15 to every Hosboy <laughs> subscriber. Yeah, exactly. That uh, is subscribed on Patreon. Mm, yeah. Yes. <laughs> I I do think I, I do think Max is going to take it. They're just more consistent. I would love a Ferrari battle. It would be very interesting to see a Perez battle. Um, but I do think Max will end up taking it. I'm right with you. I think it's a Checo Max battle. Mm-hmm. The last three races, I think we're going to keep seeing. We we talk about we talk a lot about Bonotto, right? We haven't deep dived into why we think these things. So maybe it's a little confusing for people. I think that Leclerc's got it. I don't think Bonotto's got it. Mm. And I think that they're going to keep blowing up cars Mm. for the next four or five years. They're going to keep blowing up amazing cars and blowing it, but have these amazing races that keeps everybody, you know, keeps everybody's interest Mm. peaked. But that Max and Checo are going to win with consistency. Uh, it's consistency that's going to get it. Yeah. Mike, what's yours? What's yours? I mean, I want to disagree with both of you. Then do it. But I, okay, I don't I, necessarily. I but Go I, ahead. Why not? I'm throwing my hat in the ring. Throwing, <laughs> figure it. it out. Okay. And here's the reason that I, I think that Alpine and, and Ferrari have a very strange parallel. I think that both companies suffer from ego problems. They're both big. They both should be winning. Referring back to a conversation we've had in the past about uh, an engineer who went from McLaren and he was a Utah, Steve, I believe was his name, Steve Nichols, sure. I think was his name. He has a interview on Beyond the Grid and he talked about the culture, the culture shock that he experienced going from a team like McLaren then going to Ferrari where one of the stories he elaborated on was he went to check on a rear spoiler in the department that built it after they tested it to ask, you know, hey, did you guys, you know, here's the drawings, here's this. The the wing was flexing going down the straightaway. Do you ha- do you guys have any idea why it would be why we why it would do that? And the engineer's response was, yeah, we got the drawings, but we just we didn't make it that way. Oh, gotcha. And he just kind of walked out of the room with his tail between his legs, like. Yeah. Oh, so that's how it happens around here. Oh, funny. Although we're so far in the future from that happening, 
something about that smells like Ferrari to me. Like I know better. I know that the drawing in the computer says this, but I, I, I got a feeling we got to do this. Mm. And something about that with Alpine and Ferrari both seems to be their Achilles heel that they can't seem to get past while the other teams are just using data and hard data to make decisions. But anyways, back to the predictions. I think that between Carlos and Charles, unfortunately, Carlos is pretty close to Charles in the sense of like number of wins at this point. <laughs> but I do think that because... Charles has this expertise. He's been at Ferrari for a while. He's won quite a few races already in his career. It's not brand new to him. So I feel like his ability to focus and have mental strength is there. For sure. I think that Sergio could be torpedoed by Red Bull to give Max the championship. And I do not think for a second they would not do that. Oh, no. I feel like it could get close between them, but I do not think that they would allow it to continue. And so Ferrari's our only chance mm. at an actual fight for the championship. So so what if Sergio has learned from Bottas? Right. And he's like, screw it. I'm going. I, we know that Red Bull could use some subterfuge right. and wreck his car or something like that. But I mean... I, I Honestly, I do think that because Sergio has a multi-year deal, just like Carlos signs, both of them have a lot of room to disobey orders, which yeah. means that both of them are in the hunt, genuinely in the fight, a full-blown four-way fight for the mm. championship. And it's anyone's game. And it seems like right now it's a matter of luck for reliability. So if Ferrari can dial that in, Red Bull, it might swing the other way for them, mm-hmm. where they started the year terrible. Mm. And they might make one small adjustment that might bring that back. So, I mean, honestly, I do think that Carlos and Sergio are both not Valtteri Bottas. I don't think that they're going to be complacent and mm. I don't think they're going to sideline themselves. And so I do think that the fight will come down to Charles and Max, but man, I would love it if the other two guys are in it too. And a Haas podium. And a Haas podium, without a doubt, is within reach. Gears again. We have a quick listener question um, that I think is interesting to talk about. And then we'll dive into a quick overview of the French Grand Prix. And, <laughs> and then we'll call it good for the night because it is race week. It is race week. I think the French Grand Prix gets a bad name because it's been exciting in the past from what I remember. I think it gets a bad name from Mike. Yeah, it's Mike. <laughs> it was trash for years. And now it's exciting. And then yeah. last year it was bomb. Yeah. Look, like charcuterie and snooze fest. This place was garbage for I years. Think the, I, I think the track sh- itself is... Charcuterie? Charcuterie, charcuterie, <laughs> Le Mans Grand Prix. Get out your Hidden Valley French this, and your charcuterie. <laughs> this place was just rough. It was terrible. Okay, save the anger. We'll get to the overview. <gasps> yeah, we're loving this energy. We're going to unleash it. We have a question from a listener named Devin. Oh, hi, Devin. And he asks, what is the average age of Grand Prix winners um, throughout the era of Formula One racing? Oh. Because then he jokes, seriously, the 60s and 70s drivers probably had a smoke and ash trays in their cars. <laughs> <laughs> um, and like eight or 10 kids. <laughs> It's not wrong. It's, it's not like wrong. Some of the pictures I've seen of like a historical 
moment in Formula One, the guy getting out of the cockpit. Looks like Abe Lincoln. Yeah. Or, right. Or he looks just like a beer gut and a beard. He's taking off his helmet. He's like, Which- just won the Monaco Grand Prix. <laughs> like, Gotta go to work now. <laughs> <laughs> which, which I like. I like this moment, which is like these guys are probably mechanics, right? right. The guys that are racing probably built the stuff that they're racing. They're like, who's on. driving the car this year? And those people right. are not sexy, like no. male models. <laughs> yeah, there is a very different aesthetic. So, Mike, you've looked up the data. I did. Were there older drivers back in the day, or have they always been the same age? And we just think they're old looking. No, they're <laughs> they're they're definitely a lot younger than they used to be. Let's dive into it. Nineteen sixty to nineteen ninety three, so a thirty three year gap. Yeah, the average age of a driver was thirty two years old. Okay, so not too That's old. Danny Ricardo, right? But take into consideration that like 32 years old is like prime time Mm. career when you're talking average age. Mm. 32 years old, average age for 30 years. Mm. Let's talk about this. The oldest Grand Prix winner. Yeah, what is this? 53. Who was 53? Not Kimi Raikkonen. His name was Luigi Fagilio. Nice. Yeah, so he- And he raced for McLaren. <laughs> right. <laughs> the name like Luigi Fagilio. That's amazing. That is that is old. That's Vince Carter still playing in the NBA, right? Right. And then Nino Farini is 46 years old and Juan Manuel Fangio who was a four-time world champion. He was like a he's like an iconic legend of the early days, right? Correct. He was 46 years old on his last win. That's amazing. Right. When right now Red Bull and the sport now is falling into this obsession with youth. Right. Can the youngest kid, like who's the youngest person we can get to win a race? Which is, it seems like a race to obtain, which is ridiculous. It's ridiculous because you burn careers doing it. Well, didn't Lewis win most of his championships in his thirties? Right. But yeah, late twenties through the early thirties. I think experience has got to be worth something. No, there's definitely. And you know, the Fangio retired uh, with his world championship at 46 years old in and, 1957. And just to compare that, the oldest racer on the grid right now is, is Alonzo at 40. And he hasn't been winning races lately. Yeah, kind of interesting. Alonzo's still on his game. I'll give him that. The He's, car's just not crazy. Yeah, exactly. But does Alonzo have an ashtray in the car? <laughs> the Ouija probably did. Give him the smoke. The oldest driver to start a Grand Prix was 55 years old. But wow. he didn't finish it. And that was it. he was eating during the race. <laughs> they like gave him a plate of pasta yeah. halfway through. Yeah. He was eating the charcuterie. He's just yeah. like one arm it, just like, <laughs> it'll be fine. <laughs> he's, he's actually making pasta noodles. I'm spilling my wine. Just like trying to get around the track. <laughs> they got around it. What they would do is in the engine, they took some of that energy and they put it into a little blender and it just purees the pasta and wine into a pasta wine puree. And just feed tube it. And then it just pushes it in through a tube. Yeah, Louis Chiron, 
he had the drink. Yeah. <laughs> he had the was drink. Pure yeah. Give him the drink. But yeah, so the oldest driver to start a Grand Prix was 55 in 1955. But here's one of my favorite things is he was born in 1900. Oh, jeez. <laughs> so, wow. Fun old sport. A lot more, uh, we'll say, regular in the 1950s to have somebody quite that yeah, old. Yeah, but like Parker said, these were probably the guys who owned and built and worked on the car. Yeah, and if they weren't the people that invented the team, they developed the car. They developed yeah. the company. They were probably firing yeah. mechanics themselves, hiring mm. mechanics. It wasn't a corporation that yeah. hired an intern. Let's be honest. Yeah. These drivers are like talented interns. Right. They're the they're like the <laughs> least broadly talented people in the whole company. Mm. They're the least experienced people in the whole company. Wow, that is an interesting point of view. There, yeah. It's like 40, 50, 60, in the case of Williams, 70-year-old people right. that are career Motorsport managers, mechanics, engineers, mechanic professionals that hire children to drive these cars to drive that the car. is the weirdest dynamic it is right. thinking about it yeah right that is weird they're especially they're practically interns max won his first race he was 17 i want to say 18 uh, yeah 17 that is so young yeah yeah 40 50 60 yeah. year old guys building a car for a teenager for a teenager that <laughs> they're just trying out it's literally closer to an internship. That's so insane. It's like, hey, we're going to try you out, but you could be gone in a second. Wow. It's like, they're the most important part of the team, but they're the most disposable part of the team. It's Weird. the most important part of the team, but they're the least experienced by many, many times than really anybody weird. else in the team. That's an insane perspective. And then here, what Mike is talking about are these old guys where they were more experienced than the mechanic. They were more experienced than the administrator that they so hired nice. to as their a, books or whatever. Yeah, to quote my wife, she would say, are you here on a school field trip? What, oh, uh, the, you, the driver? Yeah, yeah it's just yeah, like, yeah. What are, you, oh, are you just stopping in for a quick look at the museum mm -hmm. here? They, seriously, if you think of Yuki Sonoda. If Yuki or Lando walked into your workplace, would you assume that they were the most important person in the room? No, yeah, that's crazy. Not. You would never assume they were the I most important person. I also remember this. This is an interesting perspective because Kimi Raikkonen was old by the time he left and he had been racing for decades. Wasn't there like a qualifying or a race where he... His, he crashed and his car was on the side and he just gets out and starts like working on it. Yeah. Because by then, Kimmy was like an experienced driver, also like experienced mechanic from rallying and all this crap. Right. And like rally is a sport that requires like Dakar. You're yeah. in the middle of nowhere. So if you have a failure, you have to know how to replace a tie rod. Yeah. You can't just be, or yep. You know, like Daniel Ricciardo, I think actually openly admits that he doesn't know a lot about cars. Like some of these other drivers that are older, like Sebastian, right. Alonzo, and then Kimi, like you'll see them actually kind of, and Lewis, they'll right. like inspect other cars. Yeah. And they like <laughs> know the, the way they work. They've put in that work. Whereas compared to the Landos yeah. and George Russells and Yuki's, it's like, these guys don't know anything. They're e-racing at home. They're right. e-racing. They know how to they know how to set up an internet connection and stream. Definitely from the perspective of like the older school guys, the dudes who raced V8s and had refueling pit stops, they, I think that they're probably a lot more comfortable with the mechanical side of the car than the younger generation mm. because the car was just simpler. It didn't have tons of turbos. It didn't have electrical parts. There's hybrid units on these things. And you come across a hybrid wire from one of those batteries in the wrong way. You're toast. You're toast. 
Mm. So these cars are complicated and those fires are extremely dangerous with batteries and things like that as well. And these guys don't know how to... Yeah, they, they, they none of them are really turning a wrench either. So yeah, that too. I'd hate to assume that they don't really know a bunch of things without actually quizzing some of them. But yeah. truth be told that like a Fernando Alonso would never be... A- even allowed by a team to race Dakar without knowing how to repair a car. Yeah. There's definitely a lot of experience in that way to be very familiar with each part and stuff like so, that. It's a fun question. I think that the average age plays a lot into that. And I think right now the sport is currently at tw- 26 mm, for the average come age. Down. So with, it's come down six three, years. With three huge outliers. If Alonzo and Vettel quit. And right. maybe even Lewis, like that age is going to come down a lot. It's going to come down a ton. Alonzo's pulling up that, that <laughs> old end. Yeah. So was Kimmy. Uh, moving into our last little part, it's race week. Mike, why do you hate the French Grand Prix? <laughs> just for years, it was just the Mercedes show. It just was. Okay. It was a escape off into the distance and... Just a country drive. Just set the alarm for when the race is over to see the podium. It was pretty not interesting. I think it's a really cool design track. It is it is dope looking. What's cool about it? Well, what's interesting about it now, or what has changed over the years, more of the point, is it is a kind of fairly simple layout. It's not overly intricate, not a lot of too much twistiness. There's definitely some heavy braking zones because of long straightaways. But where they made some innovations that I think is interesting is that the outside edges of the track has paint colors. Do you remember this? From oh, that's yeah. what I'm talking about. It looks really cool. It's like bands of colors around the corners. Have- we were talking about this. Yeah. There are different levels of abrasion. Right. So it's like grip tape, I would say, or sandpaper is how you would define it. Now, last week we, we talked a ton about track limits. The gravel. And so... Track limits being ways that they basically penalize drivers for trying to gain that extra advantage. Where the French Grand Prix is basically designed to screw the driver over so bad if they veer off track, their tires are hosed. You go off track, you get you get the penalty. The penalty is being off track. And if yeah. you're on a motorcycle, the penalty is death. If you cannot race the French way, then you get penalized. <laughs> Otmar, Otmar is loving his life right now. Yeah. From what I remember, and I could be wrong, but I, with each step outside the track, the worse that it gets. Oh, okay. And so by the time that you've reached the furthest, most colored edge of the track, uh, that grip level is so high. So if you've spun off track that your tires are shredded to bits. Mm. And so it's a even during practice sessions and qualifying, you're wanting to baby what you have because mm. you never know what happens in the race that you might need to recall up a set of tires you put five laps on in practice. Mm. Uh, and so you don't want to be blitzing yourself off the track in a spin mm. and blow through an extra set of softs that you could have used at the end for a fastest lap. See, what I like about that is that it's just one step closer to where I think F1 is going in like 2050, which is just lava on the very furthest <laughs> yeah, outside. It's Mario like- Kart. It's rainbow it's, it's razor blades. Yeah, dude. And then it's like thumbtacks and then it's lava and then it's like spikes. And you have like so overpasses hard. where fans can like dump oil on the drivers. Like you <laughs> pay, they pay for that. It's like a 20 they grand VIP package to throw bananas <laughs> at the drivers. And yeah. at that point, that's $600,000. Let's be real. <laughs> Miami Grand Prix organizers have pushed for that already. Yeah. They've already. Got- What's a banana? 
Let him throw it on the track. What's Camp the deal Car- with these racers being all hoity-toity about their bananas? <laughs> they go to Michael Massey. Okay, Kim Kardashian wants to throw one banana on the track while she's filming it. Can we do that? <laughs> Can we get that done? Do you even know who she is? You don't know who Kim is, do you? <laughs> Can we please is get John that Ralphio done? Is John Ralphio pitching for Kim? <laughs> <Is> yeah. <laughs> Can we please just get that done? I would love to get a yes for this one. Let me know tomorrow. Do you want your sport to take off or not? Do you know how many followers Kim has? Yeah, Kim is going to make this sport famous. <laughs> We're not going to pay for any of this because the exposure is well worth it. Just like how Kanye West made Paul McCartney famous. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. yeah, that no-namer. Yeah. He makes careers. Kim makes sports. Yeah. Name a career, name an athlete she hasn't dated from that sport. Right. One banana peel. <laughs> 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 the guy who designed the Miami GP track actually on in his initial sketch just had Rainbow Road. He just uh, held it up for everyone. Yeah, and it was yeah, like, yeah. Um, this is what we're doing is um, designing this right here. And the organizers were pretty on board um, <laughs> up until they got a meeting with the FIA. So you're right. I think that the sport has worked so hard to build up all the safety just so they could tear it back down cool. The, the French Grand Prix sounds like it could be exciting this year, especially because everyone's racing so close together. Like the, we've seen the craziest battles between now up to five cars in a pack, all just switching places. Right. And last year was an anomaly. It was an outlier. Mm. The French GP last year was very enjoyable. It was a close race. Max ended up winning that race, but in years past prior to yeah. that, it had been a struggle to enjoy. So I'm holding out a hope that last year is more of what we see this year. Mm-hmm. And it's less of like the seven years prior to it. Cool. Well, we're excited for it. Uh, race week. We love it. Well, thanks for listening to the podcast episode. Write us an email at Boys. Follow us on Instagram, Boys at theinstagrams.com. And share it with your friends. Rate us on Spotify, five stars. That helps us boost those numbers because we want to keep growing. We want the Haas Boy Nation to grow. We want more Haas Boys. We want more Haas fans to realize they're Haas fans. Everyone is one. They just got to realize it. Exactly. Parker. Don't ever think that you're not the best possible version of your own self. Take that with you. Put yourself in front of the mirror. Grab yourself by the throat. If you have to. And tell yourself, I am a hot boy. That's some solid advice. Yeah. Take that with you this week. That's the t-shirt. <laughs> That's a big t-shirt. <laughs> Times New Roman 12 point or yeah. XXL. Slink it for the family 15 meal fern friends. Yeah. I mean, you've got to be that big if you're going to have a freshman family of 15. <laughs> Bye. That's one small podcast. They beat the rich kids. kids.